Hey everybody, welcome to Coach Cottle's Corner. This is the first episode and we couldn't be more excited to bring it to you. Coach is about to interview Bill Tierney. Enjoy. Welcome to the Lacrosse All-Star Podcast with living legend Bill Tierney. Seven national championships as a head coach. We kindly forget he's got two national championships as an assistant coach at Johns Hopkins. And he won the first national championship west of the Mississippi at the University of Denver. Coach, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Proud to be here with you. Well, this is, of all the guys to start this podcast off with, you were my first choice because I really don't have any other friends in lacrosse, so I decided to ask you, and I appreciate you accepting. Well, and I'm glad you've gotten out of coaching college lacrosse because the way guys are poaching each other's players, we probably wouldn't be friends now either. Yeah, and and that is a very difficult thing. Let me ask you something. You you were the head coach at RIT. You went to back-to-back NCA playoffs. What made an upstate guy from Cortland consider going to Hopkins? Well, you know, it it was uh, just like the surprise. Uh, you know, my 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 life's dream was to be the head football coach at my high school, and in the in the fall of 1981, I I achieved that. And uh, but just before that season started, my best friend from college, Ray Rostan, who was a coach at RIT, called me and said, I'm leaving for to go to Ithaca College. Would you consider taking the RIT job? I said, I, I just got my dream job as a head football coach. But, you know, by then I was, you know, lacrosse had kind of uh, just become a passion. And just to, to have a chance to go up to RIT and be a college coach uh, was all, all I thought I could be at that point. So then going from there, and then, uh, as you know, Larry Quinn was a goalie at Hopkins at the time. Larry and his brother Bob were altar boys at my wedding. Our parents were best friends. He was my high school goalie. And so he called me and said, Coach Zimmerman's moving up to the head lacrosse job at Hopkins. Would you consider the assistant's job? And, of course, you know, Going to Johns Hopkins, you know, three years prior being at Levittown Memorial was like a, you know, just on a rocket ship of this of this profession. And so, of course, um, of course, I said yes. And, you know, included in that was um, meeting Dave Cottle, who introduced me to my first soft crab sandwich in Baltimore. Um, and then I went to Hopkins and, uh, you know, it's just I just felt like it was just another opportunity to to continue on in this profession at a higher and higher level. Billy, what did you find a difference between coaching at RIT and coaching at Hopkins? <laughs> well, you couldn't go from one extreme, more extreme thing to another. You know, at, at RIT, I had to wash the clothes, line the fields, coach the team. I had a volunteer assistant, a uh, guy named Mike Greco from Hobart, who did a great job for us. But, um, I had to do everything, 
you know. And then I got to Hopkins, and my first meeting there was there were there were no limits on coaching staffs back there. So my first meeting was with nine of the nine other coaches at Hopkins, all being Hopkins graduates. So I uh, went from uh, running the show to uh, mopping the floors in a big hurry. Now, you were not only the head lacrosse coach, excuse me, the defensive coordinator at Hopkins, you also were the head coach of soccer. <laughs> yes, I was. Um, well, one thing I learned over the, all the years was if you're going to take a job, take it when it's not doing well and try to improve it. And that kind of became my mantra, you know, um, at, at a, some of the jobs that I had taken uh, way back to when I took the Great Neck South job before going to Levittown Memorial back in 1975. So um, I know Hopkins hadn't had great success in soccer. Uh, we all know Bob Scott, the great AD at Johns Hopkins. He had to, he wanted me to be the assistant lacrosse coach, but he, we had to find a way to convince the soccer guys that we could, we could get through this thing. And uh, but they hadn't had very many winning years there. And so when I took over the first year, we went seven and nine, and then the next two years we went fourteen and three and made the NCAA tournament. In my third year as the soccer coach and. The Princeton people tell me that that was more of a reason of me getting the Princeton job than being the assistant lacrosse coach at Johns Hopkins. Because you showed success as a head coach. I think one of my highlights of, of my life was watching your big win over our sinus in soccer as I went to one of your games. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know much about soccer, but I, uh, you know, it's so funny that people are talking. I haven't seen it, but people are talking about this Ted Lasso show now and uh, about this football guy who had to take over a soccer program. And I'm kiddingly telling the people here that's my that's my life story because I, uh, you know, I the first day of practice I told the soccer team I'm going up in the stands to evaluate you guys. Meanwhile, I dragged my grad assistant up there and they started playing. I, I asked them, what, what are they doing? You know, you, you got to tell me. And so um, the good the good news was I, I told them I could give great pregame and speeches and I could get them in shape and they would have to do the rest. And we just had a, a bunch of great kids that, that bought into what we were doing and, you know, had, had two great seasons before I left to go to, to Princeton. And then when on the lacrosse side, you had Larry Quinn, who you had coached in high school, and you had some other really strong leaders on the defense and, and on that team. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, John DiTomaso, who grew up in Farmingdale, which was one town over from Levittown, and, uh, you know, he was one of Larry's best friends. John Krumenacker um, was a great midi. We had Steve Mitchell, uh, you know, we had all these these guys, Brian Woods, you know, UBA, uh, you know, Mike Morrill, uh, Del Dressel. I mean, that team was, uh, the, you know, uh, just just loaded, you know, just, just loaded. We had Larry in the goal that first year, and then uh, – um, you know, uh, the first two years, actually. And then Quinn Kessenick came in uh, the next year. So uh, there was a lot of talent in there. And, uh, and of course, I was the under understudy of the, of the great Freddie Smith. And probably other than you, Dave, I learned more from, from Freddie about lacrosse than, than anyone else and, uh, in, in my life. And, and that man just, he supported me so much in some of those, some of those meetings where there were, 
a lot of nine Hopkins coaches and me. Uh, Freddie was a great supporter of mine and gave me the confidence to, uh, to, to keep going in this thing. Billy, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say a bad word about Freddie Smith. Freddie, Freddie's um, just just an amazing guy. He used to take Zim and I on every Tuesday down to the down to the market downtown Baltimore, and we would, uh, you know, back then, back then you didn't know what you were eating, but we would either eat, eat you know, raw beef sandwiches with horse, horseradish on it or uh, or chicken livers. Two things that probably weren't very healthy for me at the time, but uh, Freddie was such a great man, and, and I'll, I'll never forget in, in 1987. We went uh, up to Rutgers to play. Maryland was undefeated at the time, and uh, Freddie was really sick. He was he was dying of cancer, and uh, we somebody got him up to the game. He was wrapped up in blankets, and uh, and we upset Maryland in the semifinal. And I remember, um, uh, you know, uh, Freddie just taking off, and and Zim and I calling him the next day on the Sunday and saying. Freddie, you got to come back. We're playing Cornell. They're they're undefeated too. Um, and he said, uh, "I've seen all I need to see." And, and it was just so moving, you know. And then we upset Cornell in the final to win that championship in '87. So uh, Freddie was just such an inspiration to me. In in '85, my first year there, I you know, as I said, I was Freddie's understudy, but we got to play in Syracuse in the championship game, and we had a we had a great crease defenseman, a guy named Guy Matrosini, who you knew well, Dave. And uh, um, guy, people were taking Guy out on the wings and 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 kind of attacking him a lot. And so, uh, but he was really good inside. So I remember kind of making my first recommendation in the whole year that day and saying, "Well, why don't if if Syracuse takes takes Guy out to the wing, why don't we just?" jump into a fake zone and, and put our sticks up and yell out zone and we'll put this guy back in the middle. And there, you know, everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. And Freddie, Freddie, I'll never forget. He hit the table with his hand and he said, and he said, it's about time we start listening to this guy. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just, it just my, my first kind of, you know, uh, validation that that maybe I knew a couple of things, and we went on and won that game eleven to four. And so, uh, uh, so that Freddie will always be, have a great big spot in my heart. That's for sure. On that trip down from RIT to Hopkins, I think you had a Volkswagen Beetle, didn't you? And you had like <laughs> nineteen children at the time, and you drove down, kind of like the clampets of the Beverly Hillbillies coming from Rochester into Harford County. Exactly. Well, you know, it was funny because Bob Scott wanted to meet my wife Helen and the kids, and we were in a '77 Volkswagen Beetle, and we drove down, and we went to the Newton White White Athletic Center, and. Uh, so we pull up and Bob comes down the steps to, to meet us. And Helen, Helen's sitting in the front seat with Brian, who my youngest daughter, who, uh, you know, who at the time was, uh, um, I don't know, less than a year old. And she hands Brian to Bob and he puts Brian in his arms going, oh, isn't she cute? Helen gets out. She grabs Courtney, who's two years old, hands on the Bob. Now he's got my two daughters in his arms. 
you know, bouncing around. Oh, this is so cute. She pulls Brendan out and hands him to Bob Scott, who's four years, who's four years old. And Bob goes, are there any more? And we go, hold on a minute. We pulled, we pulled, we pulled Trevor out. He's five years old. He goes, I can't hold him. So it was, uh, it was, it was quite a welcoming to Johns Hopkins. Not for much, so much for me, but for, uh, for Helen and Bob to start their relationship. That's 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 amazing, totally amazing. So, so now the last thing I want to talk about at Hopkins is back then the Blue Jay lacrosse camp was like yeah. the the camp of all camps where you, it was at McDonough School and Donnie Zimmerman was the director and we had a guest speaker at Five Star our event at Five Star whose claim to fame was that he went to the Blue Jay lacrosse camp and had Don Zimmerman and Bill Tierney and Dave Cottle sign the certificate we used to give them for attending. You remember those days? Of course. <laughs> it was, uh, there's so many great memories of that from, uh, uh, I'll never forget at McDonough, they had this small pool and uh, Dave Clarman was the head coach at uh at North or an assist at that time, uh, you know, an assistant coach at, at North Carolina and friends with Zim and, and we would put the kids in the pool and Clarman would just, they, I, they called it dodgeball, but he basically picked out all the wise guy kids in the camp and he would just destroy these poor kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then, and then we had a young one year, we had a young player named David Petromala who, uh, who, uh, you know, really loved working camps. And we had 40 kids from Japan come over and they all wanted Dave Petromala to cover them. So he did 40 one-on-ones in a row with flip-flops on. And the 40th guy beat him for a goal. And and you had, there there was probably a parade in the front of, uh, you know, the, the Capitol building of in Tokyo for, because somebody beat Dave Petromala in a, in a one-on-one. And the, the stories just go on and on, the tennis games, the, you know, I, I think the poor kids who, who went to that camp um, were more observers of madness uh, with the counselors than, than we were of them playing <laughs> lacrosse. <laughs> so now you get offered the job of Princeton. What was your initial reaction? Well, it, you know, as I said before about, you know, about RIT, about the Hopkins soccer, there was only one way to go but up, you know, uh, um, they had had some rough years the four years before before I got there. They had only won, uh, I think, two or three or four Ivy games in the four years prior. And, uh, and you know, Princeton had had a great history of lacrosse. They had won national championships in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And they had won 10 straight Ivy League titles in the 60s. And it just kind of fell on some hard times. So I felt like... I felt like there was uh, good lacrosse history there. And, um, you know, the funny thing is going back to those four kids with Bob Scott, I remember saying to Bob, when, when Princeton offered me the job, I said to Bob, if I was making 25000 at the time and, and with the four kids. And, uh, and I said to Bob, if you give me twenty seven, I'll stay at Hopkins. And he said, it's time for you to go. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, my first my, – my first thoughts there were, um, 
you know, that it was uh, like a lot of my jobs, you know, uh, as I said, I, it was no way to go, but up. So I had learned so much at Hopkins, you know, guys that go on name like Jerry Pfeiffer, you know, who was the football coach, but was a great lacrosse coach and all the things that Zim did for me. And certainly Freddie, who we talked about. Um, but I just got there and figured let's, let's go after this thing. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, great plans of, of great masters go uh, go flat once in a while. My first year when I thought I was going to change the world, we went 2-13. and 13. So I thought I was going to get fired right away. But um, it, uh, you know, I, my initial thoughts were just we can do this thing with support, which I knew we had, the history of the game, and and a little hard work. One of the uh, in-state rivals used to say this about Princeton, that Princeton has turned a lot of Tigers into pussycats. And <laughs> I, I think you heard it, and I think it motivated you to get those kids to play tougher. And, uh, you know, you're synonymous with a couple things, obviously, in lacrosse, but one of them was the invention of the Princeton defense. How did that come about? Well, the, the the truth of the matter is, as we going back a little bit in the in going into the season of 1987, when I was the assistant at Hopkins, as I mentioned, Freddie had gotten real sick, and he couldn't just couldn't come out every day and and coach like he normally did, and so I had officially then become the defensive coordinator and just basically mimicked everything Freddie did, but we had a really good group. And, uh, you know, we were, as I said, Quint was in the goal. We had just great crayons, but I, I kind of, when I was back at RIT and back at Levittown, I always played this defense where if you saw the guys back with the ball, you double teamed them and, and tried to just create havoc. It was, you know, I had a great young man named Ed Purcell who played for me for my last two years at Levittown and my first two years at RIT. And Eddie, you know, got into coaching, unfortunately passed away at a young, young age. But uh, so we played this defense where he was in the middle and he was kind of the free safety. If something broke down on a double team, he would fill he would fill that that gap or that pass or whatever. And then so going into this 87 season, um, you know, I, I wrote out these, I'll never forget, I wrote in hand, in ink, uh, I wrote out these this four pages of my thoughts on how we could expand on Freddie's, what he called the seven defense, um, which was included seven men, which meant the six D guys plus the goalie. Um, that was so sound. And I thought, you know, we could expand on that a little bit by earlier slides, you know, and, and choreographing the slides depending on what the other team was doing. And then, you know, I presented it to Zim and, and he, he just kind of said, you know, hey, it's, if, if it ain't broken, we're not going to fix it. And he was right. You know, but I took that with me to, 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 to Princeton in the back of my mind. But my first two years at Princeton, we didn't have very many good players. And so we, we, we kind of stuck with the basics. But by the time uh, 1990 rolled around, we had, you know, Scott Batch Galupo and Justin Tortolani and Kevin Lowe and all these really good players. And so I decided to put this that thought that I had had, you know, three years prior into fruition here and, and using again the, the, the blueprint of Freddie's defense of, you know, having guys down, go down the side and then, you know, go coma slides uh, if it was an attackman, but doing it with 
uh, early slides and, and making sure that we didn't get beat topside and just flying all over the place, teaching the guys how to rotate, rotate slide and fill. Um, we, we just thought we'd give it a shot. And, and that was what became known as the Princeton defense. And uh, funny story, you, you're, you're around this game long enough. I think it was two years ago. Um, we got beat by, no, it was a little longer than that, maybe three or four years ago, we got beat by somebody pretty good. And, uh, and uh, one of the writers wrote, Kearney can't even, can't even coach his own defense anymore. You know, so yeah, everything goes around. And uh, as I always say to young coaches, if you have a good idea now, it was a good idea 30 years ago. And if you have a bad idea now, don't worry about it. It'll come back to being a good idea in, idea in another 30 years. You know, so it's, um, you know, it's like fashion, right? Whatever goes out is going to be in. Just hold on to it in your, you know, in your closet for long enough. So the the Princeton defense, and I can remember you'd go speak at conventions, and the, the room would be <laughs> filled because they wanted the answer key and uh, of how it worked. But you started as your teams got better at Princeton, and and you had some really smart kids. You started being even back then in the '90s a lot more multiple in defense. You know, you had uh, that that same Eddie Purcell defense. I believe you did it with Nick Lane for a while, and then you That's started right. doing something. You were the first guy in lacrosse to play people defense. Could you explain mm-hmm. to, to the to the people here what that meant? Yeah, I, I just thought that, look, I was a Cortland State grad and I was surrounded by 30 or 40 guys a hell of a lot smarter than I. So um, what we what what happened was and you mentioned those conventions in 1997, you know, as you know, my, my great assistant coach, Dave Metzbauer, he, he did everything for me. And I was invited to speak at the convention and I said to him, I'm going to, I'm going to give it away. And he said, no, don't do it. Um, and he said, I said, no, I'm going to do it. I think it's important for the game that people understand what I'm, what we're doing. And uh, it's funny because in 96, 97, 98, we were, you know, I had Hubbard Hessen, Massey, Roos scoring 18 goals a game. It didn't matter what defense we played. So I did, I decided to, you know, give that speech on, 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 on what the, the defense was. So after that, Everybody started figuring out as and you've you were the one that the the basic thing of beating that defense was cut the fill and pop the crease and and you, you know you yourself and these other guys were popping guys off the crease where we wanted people to be inside so anyway um we had to come up with something different for the for the better team, so we invented this this people defense, which basically was a bit a different and I had all these smart kids at Princeton uh, uh, a different defense for every offensive player on the other team and so for instance uh, and it, it wasn't that interesting it, it wasn't as intricate as it sounds but basically if you know if we knew a guy was all left-handed we would drive him right and slide early but if another guy had the ball who didn't have much range we wouldn't slide to him if, if it was a left-handed attack win you know we might double him if he was going right so we had all these really intricate scouting reports that the guys had to memorize and uh you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but uh, it, it, it gave us a different look than our basic, uh, you know, um, our basic slides and decrease defense. And, and you said something that was really important is that offensively, 
your recruiting at Princeton continued to grow and you started getting some really good offensive players. So while you were getting you, you, you did play great defense, you had some outstanding offensive players. We really did. It was, you know, you, we started with the, you know, my my first year of recruiting. Um, my first recruit was Justin Tortolani, who's, whose son Jack is now playing for me here at Denver, which is freaks me out a little bit because that was a long time ago. But uh, um, and then with him just came some guys that, that were Scott Reinhardt from West Genesee. Andy Moe was was there. You know, all these guys were starting to, you know, we were starting to pile them up. And then in the recruiting, we, you know, we had, you know, Kevin Lowe came in. He was so important to, to that whole thing. You know, um, uh, just you could go down the whole the whole litany of of them. Um, and and you got these midfielders, uh, Brian Tomio from Long Island, Poor Morrow from Port Washington, and all these guys. And then finally, in in after we won the championship in 94, this n- new group comes in of Hubbard, Hess, and Massey. We still had Scott Conklin playing attack, so Jesse Hubbard had to play midfield for a first year. And uh, and then, you know, the history of 96, 97, 98, three-peating with, the, with Hubbard, Hess, and Massey being at the attack. Uh, you know, I'm sure Coach Metzbauer would tell you that there was more just, you know, trying to get them to be a little bit more selfish. They were all unselfish guys. They all had really, um, really uh, individual skills that, that melded great with each other. You know, Jesse had that great range and outside shot. Chris Massey was speed and could dodge anybody. And, and John Hess was, was the feeder. Um, and then, you know, and then we still had Josh Sims, maybe one of the greatest middies that ever played and Lauren Smith from Gilman and, you know, all these guys on the midfield. It was just, it was just so much fun to, to watch. So coaching defense at that point was, uh, was a pretty easy task. When you started recruiting, you know, you, you, whoever you got was probably going to be an upgrade from what you, what you first got there. But what were you looking for in players? Well, the first thing I did, and and, and I started this, we recruited players only from winning teams. And I know, you know, as as a look at what we're doing now, we're recruiting the best player because we, you know, from uh, different teams, because sometimes we don't get the the top player from Baltimore or the top player from Long Island or the top player from Philly out here at Denver. So, but my first thing was only kids from winning teams. And, and that, that went a long way to try to build a culture of um, not just playing lacrosse and being okay to lose, uh, you know, so that, that was first and foremost. Second of all was discipline. Um, you know, the, the, the train had got off the tracks a little bit there. And, and, you know, so it was, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're, you're late. If, you know, uh, I've, I've had this rule. I still carry it. A lot of coaches, look at me like I got six heads here, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in small, small steps of discipline, creating big steps of discipline. And that's, you know, we, we don't allow facial hair or long hair here. And I had one young man a couple of years ago, Zach Miller, who was a native American. And I certainly w- was not going to mess with that, with his culture. And, and so Zach had a braid, but he always kept it really neat and really great. So uh, all these little things, dressed in jackets and ties on the road, um, uh, you know, how to do well in class, 
um, just just all these little things that we started to doing that um, made the kids think that this thing was bigger than just going out on the lacrosse field. And, and the, you know, of course, the hard part about that is making sure that you're 10 minutes early and you're doing you're preparing your practices and you have game plans and, and you're doing the right thing. Um, so but it was really those two things which was just trying to create a winning getting guys from winning culture and creating a discipline. The rest kind of followed. Well, it's funny because we always scrimmaged fall and spring. And I right. was always impressed with the quality of people that your players were, the way they handled themselves, the way they looked, the way they played with discipline. And it was a direct reflection of the program of Princeton, but it was also a direct reflection of you. And I see the same attributes at a completely different type of school uh, at University of Denver. And it's followed you all the way through your career. And I think it's been something that I think that all the players that have played for you are better men for playing for you. Hey, thanks everyone for listening. This has been the first Coach Cottle's Corner, and we couldn't be more thankful Coach Tierney joined us. We've got two more episodes with Coach T. If you have any questions for him or Coach Cottle, give us a holler. Info at laxallstars.com or on social media, you know where to find us. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Coach Cottle and Coach T. Grow the game.